All right, and it's my pleasure to introduce our speaker today, our lead spiritual director, Dr. Reverend Patrick Cameron. Thank you. They're burned out. I think everything's on. Good morning. What'd you think of the strobe show? Actually, two of our lights are burned out. I'm like, why is it so dark in here? So it's mood. It's mood lighting now. It's good. Um, so welcome. Um, Ron and I are going to uh, do a song that will take us into our, our affirmative prayer. So if you'd like to stand and do this with me, you're welcome, or stay seated. Either way works. In this very room, there's quite enough love. For all the world And in this very room There's quite enough joy For all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear For spirit one spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. No with me. One life, one activity. The great reality, as Dr. Holmes so beautifully articulated. And so as we step into that awareness, as we open ourselves to that idea, let that idea become our experience, our experience at the soul level and at the level of our cellular form. And so as we come together in this, I know that every good thing necessary, as I affirm this, and impresses upon this infinite intelligence that always responds in the affirmative, always responds to that which I articulate in awareness and in, in, a, in, a, in a vibrational relationship of the highest measure with that essence of being. And so I affirm and know right here and right now that everything necessary for myself and for you and everyone that we interact with from this point forward is blessed by this moment, that this awareness of our oneness, our, our unity, the truth of our being, who we are and whose we are, continues to inform, instruct, and outpicture itself in all of our relationships, first and foremost with ourselves, and then with those in our families, communities, and in the world. And so truly, as we have just sung, there is enough love in this sanctuary for the entire world, because that love is at the quantum level and it is beyond measure, and it is beyond comprehension. And I understand that, and I give thanks. I'm so grateful to be with you today. I stand in great gratitude. I stand in the practice of forgiving myself and anyone that comes into my awareness that might require that activity, that spiritual practice, so that I may stand with you in the third kingdom of consciousness. And so I just give thanks this day for every good thing. I give thanks for our community. I give thanks for those that have gone before that allowed us the opportunity, the privilege and the joy of being together today in this capacity within this center. 
I give thanks for all the centers throughout the world that are expanding consciousness and awareness as we speak, touching and impacting lives, empowering people, blessing, and reminding us over and over again when we do forget who we are. So I give thanks for that. I give thanks for our musicians today, our volunteer, our, those in service, working with our children in every capacity of that, blessing our musicians, our soloists, our greeters. And so I give thanks, knowing every good thing is called forth now, releasing these words to this infinite intelligence that continues to work and expand in direct representation of what I've articulated. I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Beautiful. If I do say so myself, that was lovely. Wasn't that nice? Let's, we can go now. I don't need to. Okay, so here we go. Good morning. A young man um, is, um, receives a call one day and his grandfather has passed away. And his grandfather was very elderly, close to 100 years old, lived a wonderful, beautiful life. And the grandson was um, tasked with inventory and documenting all the things that he had left as part of his, his legacy. And so as he was going through his grandfather's clothing and sort of checking pockets and things, he found a, he found a ticket in the, the pocket, and it, he looked at the ticket, and it was in German, and his grandfather had left um, Germany in the late 1930s when um, the, um, the political climate was shifting there prior to the Second World War. And so he looked at the ticket, and he thought, wow, this is interesting. This is a claim ticket for a pair of shoes at a shop in Munster, Germany, or Munster, am I saying it right? Munster, thank you. Tom, uh, Thomas is from Germany, so he'll fill me in on stuff. That's why I picked... Oh, nice. And are you from Munster? Oh, my gosh. That's why I was guided to this. So anyway, I have a, a lady from Munster today. In fact, would you like to tell the story? Come on up here. Anyway, what is your, what's your mom's name? Doris. Doris, nice to... Have you been here before? I've met you before, haven't I? It was in another lifetime that I met you. But you look... For, yeah. Welcome, Doris. So anyway, I'll tell you the story. So he, he goes to the shoe shop in, in Munster with this ticket. He flies over to Germany and he wants to go see where his grandfather grew up and, and meet a, a number of his relatives. And so he goes in and lo and behold, the shop is still there. So he goes into the shop and he rings the bell and about five minutes go by and a little man comes out and he, he's got his, his uh, leather vest on and he's been in the back and he said, can I help you? And he said, yes. He said, I have this claim ticket. My gran this is my grandfather's coat from 1937. And I said, I just thought I'd bring it by and show this to you. Isn't this amazing that you're still here? And the old man said, give me that. And he takes the ticket. He looks at it, and he looks at it, and he reads it, and he says, one minute. And he, he goes into the back, and the man stands there for about 20 minutes, and finally comes out and looks at the ticket again, and he hands it to the young man and says, they'll be ready on Tuesday. <laughs> I hope you don't own a shoe shop in Munster. That, that's my new line when I'm late with something. I'll be ready on Tuesday. <laughs> so what I wanted to share with you today, because I, and I, I found this, it was sent to me uh, via Facebook, and there's a particular artist that I really am fond of, and a number, I love artists, and I love creativity, and I love uh, that expression on the planet. And there's a young man, a young man, he's in about the late 30s now, by the name of Tim Minchin, 
and I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He actually wrote the, the lyrics and the music for a uh, Tony Award-winning musical that is on Broadway right now called Matilda. And, I, and actually, our, my dear friend um, Eileen Flanagan, who came into town from Denver to facilitate our board uh, process this weekend, uh, knows him. He knows, uh, actually knows the star of the show who won the Tony, Gabriel, Gabriel uh, Ebert, who grew up in the Religious Science Church in Denver. So it's a small world. And so I was, I was investigating Tim Minchin. I go, oh my gosh, he wrote the lyrics. And no wonder I love this guy so much because there's, you know, there's, a, there's a vibrational connection with artists that we, we respond to. But anyway, uh, he's just an amazing guy. And he's got a little different perspective on life. And, and I, I listened to him on, um, on, the, on Facebook. And um, he had a commencement speech he shared with students. He grew up, he was born in... Uh, England, uh, grew up in Australia, in Perth, which is Western Australia, and then now lives in London with his wife and two children. But he's a wonderful artist and a wonderful mind and a wonderful... And he said, you know, I'm... Because he does comedy and music. And so, you know, he said, I'm, I'm not a great mu musician, but it's better when I do the comedy, and I'm not a great comedian, and the comedy's better when I do the music. So he's found his place with what he does, and it's, it's brilliant. But he did this commencement speech. He went back to the university, which is in Western Australia, and uh, was asked to do this speech. And it inspired me so much because I love this perspective. And he called it Nine Life Lessons. And so I want to share the ideas with you because I think they beautifully express what we stand for as, as a spiritual community. And so the first lesson in this, which I loved, is he talks about dreams, having a dream. And he said, don't have a dream. And, and it's interesting because I've always, my whole life, and when we do our work, we talk about setting an intention and having a dream. What would you love? What is the ideal? It's a very fundamental piece of what we do, that we're not stuck, that we're at choice. So what, what about a dream? And, but what he shared, which I thought was so insightful and beautiful, he said that to not have a dream, because sometimes our dreams can be so big, it'll, we can spend a lifetime pursuing them. But what he said another option might be is a passionate dedication to short-term goals. A passionate dedication to short-term goals. And the reason that I love that so much is I realize my dreams in my life, my ideals, have always involved me having completed something, laying the foundation of a piece so that then I can move to the next piece. And the journey has been one of, yes, I had this in mind, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with having that dream. But when the dream becomes our sole focus, we, we miss so much. And so when we're not attentive to what's before us, so I may have a dream about my ministry career, but if I'm not able to put something succinct and practical and inspiring for you to take into your life uh, every time we gather, then I'm missing an opportunity. But, but if, if my, my focus is somewhere out in the future and I don't attend to this, it doesn't work. And so I love this when he says a passionate dedication to short-term goals. Be micro-ambitious. See, I can do that. I can be micro-ambitious in everything I do. When I do the laundry, I ironed this shirt this morning. I put the tie on again. Last week I wore a tie for the first time in a long time, and people were asking me if I had a job interview afterwards. <laughs> and, uh, and, then I, and then someone said to me today, every Sunday when you talk is a job interview. I said, well, good point. Thank you so much. But what he said is he expanded it. He said, work with pride on whatever is in front of you. Work with pride on whatever's in front of you. Which then requires bringing the best of ourselves to whatever it may be. And, and to owning it. Because when, we're, when we take pride in something, we, we take ownership. We take responsibility. 
And I love that. And it doesn't mean we can't have a dream. It doesn't mean we can't have some things in mind. But also, but the way we get there is to be micro-ambitious. And I thought, what a, be- what a beautiful advice for young people that are finishing their, their education at that level and, and moving out into the world. He said, be, be aware of the... Be aware of the exterior worth, being aware of the worthwhile pursuit will probably, excuse me, being aware of the worthwhile pursuit, easy for you to say, will probably appear in our periphery. In other words, that a lot of the things that happen in our life come from uh, directions we're not looking at times. And if we're too focused out in front of ourselves, we we may miss that. And so, uh, you know, I'm notorious for watching shiny things go by and then giving it my attention. But many times, my life has been a, a series of unexpected activities, but the dream got me moving. The ambition got me moving. And so, the whole, my whole life has been shaped in ways, and I think yours has as well, by things that were not expected. And the more that we can be aware of that and incorporate that into the journey... I think it, it, there's, there's greater value in that. So working, I was going to call this talk the care and nurturing of your dream, but uh, the nine life lessons seem to work better. But I think it's really, really important. I was watching um, The Voice the other day, and this girl said, this is my dream. You know, everybody on The, the Voice and the American Idol and America's Got Talent, and any, everybody's got this dream. They're going to win this one event. That's their dream. And then this one lady, they were a young woman that they were interviewing, said, I don't want to have to go buy groceries. I don't want to have to call the plumber. And I'm like, I love my plumber. I love when my plumber comes over. What are you talking about? All of these relationships that we have with one another is what life is. What are you going to do with all your time? Lock yourself away in a room and sing to yourself? I mean, it's, just, it's very interesting to hear the perspective of this idea the dream will fulfill us. And when, in fact, what it is is to be micro-ambitious. Number two, don't seek happiness. When I came to this teaching, I used to tell people, I came came in because I wanted to be happy. And so my evolution in this, and and, and what I love about this, is is he said, don't seek happiness. Make the purpose of your life making someone else happy. Which is a whole different energetic. Because then we're in in, uh, higher relationship. And then then we're, we're, we're doing this whole thing at a level of intimacy and authenticity that can be quite beautiful. We did that yesterday at our board retreat. It was just wonderful, beautiful day. You know, there was a point in it where I shared some things that were really um, uh, bubbling up for me that were really scary. And I didn't know whether to share them or not. And, and Eileen had made such a safe space for us that I shared some things about my concerns about moving forward and was this possible even. And after I'd expressed it and it was heard, no one said anything or commented really to any extent. Um, it sort of dissipated for me. There was just enough love in the room to hear it. And then once I pulled it up, it was like, whoosh, it sort of washed away. And I thought, isn't that fascinating that we don't have to micromanage all of it. We just simply have to sometimes express it so that we can look at it and realize, oh, there's just an idea that's no longer serving. But it was helpful for me to be able to articulate that. And so there were people supporting me in happiness by paying attention. And I was able to then be, come out of that story and be more attentive to them. So it's very interesting. It's very subtle. And Greg Bear talks about that in real love. He said, in relationship, you know, my priority in relationships is to make sure my partner's happy. But I'm not responsible for the happiness. That's up to them. Which is really hard to figure out sometimes, isn't it? Because if you show up and I'm going to make you happy and you're not happy and I'm I'm taking it personally, then it takes takes on a whole different relationship. (laughs) Those of you that have been in a relationship will understand that. 
Number three, realize the enormous gift life is. And I'm wording this differently because I couldn't use Tim's language in this. But uh, he said that we all have, basically, he referred to a piece of anatomy. I'll say we all have noses. And so that, uh, you know, and, uh, you know they're all, we all have one. But to realize, he calls it luck. He says that we're lucky. I don't think there's luck involved. I think it's by right of consciousness. And that's why I wouldn't use that term. But he said that, you know, whether we had great parents or not great parents, you and I are here in this time, in this place. And I've heard many stories that are heartbreaking of parents. And, you know, what I know about parents is they give us everything they have. Some of what they have we may not want, but they give us everything they have. And they're trying to do the best they can. And so there's people that have provided food so we can be here today. And people that have provided education so we can read and so that we've had the health. We've had we've, the shelter, that we, the things that we live in. All of those things have allowed us to come together. And how incredibly fortunate we are to live in a time and a space like this. To have the, the access to information and to have access to, to the technology and things that will allow us to move forward more effectively in our lives. You know, we don't have to travel to Tibet to spend time with the Dalai Lama to understand what he has to say. We have video, we have YouTube, we have books. Anything we want to study, anything we want to consistently look at and study and participate in, we can do it. Incredible opportunity. Our life expectancies are longer and longer and longer. Our wealth. Tim Mitchin said to this class of graduates, you are going to probably all live past 100. And you will experience wealth in your life far beyond what we can even imagine. But we're experiencing that today in our own lives. The wealth that all of us experience from the generations that we've come from. And so, it's, and so what, what I'm saying about this is what a beautiful opportunity. And what it does is it puts me into gratitude and appreciation for each day. And, and the legacy and the people that have gone before me that have either informed and inspired my journey or have, have blessed me with some things that become my opportunity to then unravel. And the most precious gift in all of it is choice. I have choice. You know, I can say upset with the people that I feel like done me wrong, or I can say, wow, they were there to show me how not to do it. And so I, that informs my current, and I have choice. I have decision in this moment. As he says, and, and, and we can all do this, when it's what we stand for. We can cu- cultivate gratitude, and we can cultivate humility, and we can cultivate empathy for one another. There's a wonderful, I was going to introduce some of it, and I'll, I'll probably speak to it next week, by uh, uh, Brianne Brown. She's done this wonderful work, and I, I used her material a couple years ago, but it, around in, in, uh, excruciating vulnerability and what that takes. Because we don't live our life at that, at that level for the most part. Most of the time, we numb ourselves out. But the problem with that is when, we don't, when we're cultivating these qualities, gratitude, humility, empathy, it requires the vulnerability. And what, is, what our tendency will be, or many people's tendency is, is to, to numb the pain. And the problem with numbing the pain is that then we numb the joy. Because you cannot selectively choose emotion. You have to either, and, and so when we can be aware and mindful and bring consciousness to the, the, the emotions, it's a whole different experience. And, and then we're not stuck in, when we bring enough awareness to it, enough of a, a, a frequency of consciousness, then, then the emotions that we experience do not overwhelm us. They just inform us where we are on our journey. But that's spiritual practice. And so we have these opportunities. We have, we have, we have a gifted life, all of us. 
you know, people tell me, here's Darren and, and uh, Teresa, they have run our, our podcast for years. Would you two stand up so we can love you up a little bit? These two live up in High River. And amazing people, but when you listen to a podcast, those two have been volunteering and uh, serving. We're changing that nomenclature here from volunteer to serving, but they have been in service to that. And you have assisted in touching so many people's lives. And it's just a beautiful thing, so thank you both. Thank you. Number, number four, exercise. Talks about you've got to keep moving. He's doing this commencement. Keep moving. Exercise the physical body because chances are we're going to need them. We're going to need our bodies. Keep moving. Hey, yeah, there we go. Linda Crawford, Tom, the, the exercise uh, guru over here. Yes, but to keep moving. You know, as I get older and I'm having a few challenges with some parts of my body, I'm coming out of retirement tomorrow. After 35 years, I'm going to be playing in some senior... Well, I'm, they're going to drag me around on a, some uh, hockey rink for an hour, and we'll find out how it goes. Not that I wasn't committed, but I went and bought as much used equipment as I could in case it didn't pan out well. <laughs> there is an inverse correlation between exercise and depression. And, and so when, whenever we move more, we feel better. And so movement is just so important. That's why I, one of the things I love about the labyrinth, the walking meditation. And, and, and wherever we can move more, wherever we can walk, wherever we can run. I've got my friend Doug Carlson in uh, Denver. He always says he plays senior men's hockey because he's told that jarring the bones is good for the bones. And I'm like, okay, Doug. Jarring the bones is good for the bones. Number five, qu- question opinions. Question opinions. One of the things I loved about Tim's uh, commencement speech was it, it caused me to question my own opinions. Question opinions of others and, and, our, and ourselves. Right now we've got this debate going on at the University of Alberta. We're, cut, we're, we're out of money. There's not enough money for the arts. They're cutting, I don't know what they cut, 200 positions now. And as I said last week, there's not enough money. And that's a really popular idea. And so they're cutting back on the arts. And what they know, and what we know, is that when, when, when arts and, and science are combined, it's whole brain learning, and people learn better. They're better students. So to cut one piece of it out because we don't need the arts, I think is a bit short-sighted. And of course, then when we hear this idea that there's not enough money, it's the lack consciousness. As I said last week, where does the money come from? Whenever we do anything, where does the money come from? And I, I shared the secret last week. I'll share it again, but you can't tell anybody. The money comes from wherever it is right now. That's how it works. That's where the money comes from. That's my answer. And what it's about is, 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 is shifting that vibrational tone around. But, you know, if I were to go down to the University of Alberta and say, look, let me spend a month with you guys and we're going to do some healing work around lack they probably would not sign up for the class, is all I'm going to say. But I'm not giving up on it, okay? But it's interesting. God looks like beauty, and God feels like joy. So when we're wondering where God is, our spirit is in our life, God looks like beauty, and God feels like joy. Wherever we see beauty, wherever we decide to see beauty, it's God. And whenever we're in joy, in our being, that's the experience of that, that vibrational tone of joy. Number six, be a teacher. All of us have gifts and talents and information and experiences, and we can teach. We can be good students, 
Be great teachers. Be incredible, amazing teachers. I love Matthew Dowell. Matthew goes down and works with our, our young ones uh, several times a month. And he's a big young man. But I love it. He's down there with these little kids all around him. And he's just there to love them up and to instruct them. And it's just so wonderful to see. But all of us can be as teachers. All of us can be in service to one another in some capacity. We can be prayer partners for one another. We can, some of you I know are amazing teachers within your, your careers, within your callings. But continue to be amazing teachers. Number seven, define yourself by what you love. Define yourself by what you love. Not what you don't like, not what you hate, but what do you love? What do you stand for? What is your yes in life? Define yourself by what you love. Which is, which is not a popular idea out in the world, have you noticed? Many people know exactly what they're, what they're against. Many times what happens, and we'll see it right now, you'll see it in the political climate, is that, that we jump from, people love certainty. People love to stand in a certain position. If you notice it right now, and maybe you've been paying attention, I, I read the, the paper once in a while over the internet, they're shutting down the American government right now because there's two camps. There's two camps that are living in certainty. And so what they've done is they've shut down the government with the money. But it's an example of how we can, we can decide this is the way and the only way. And then all of a sudden, forward momentum stops. It's the same idea around we can't limit, we can't be selective in how we feel about things. We can't numb ourselves to the, the sad things and expect to have a, a different experience with the joyful things because we've, we've numbed ourselves. And the way, one of the ways we numb ourselves is through certainty. I believe this and you're not going to change my mind. And so then we, don't, we stop learning, we stop sharing, we stop giving. Number eight, respect people with less power than you. I, I, and I love this. I always embarrass my sons when we go out to dinner because I always want to know the waiter's name. Because when I go into a restaurant, I'm appreciative that this person actually got out of bed and got all dressed up and is here to wait on a table where I'm going to be having a meal. And so I love to be able, I always want to know their name and, and have a relationship with them. And the same thing when I go anywhere and someone's being of service to me because I appreciate it. And I know what it's like. And I've been on that side of the, the table as well in my, most of my life. But I think what it is is it, it's a spiritual practice to respect people with less power than you. And it, what, it, what that requires is empathy and compassion and a, an ability to stand in their shoes. And so I love that idea that, you know, um, Tim Minchin says, you know, when I sit down with a producer or director that wants to do work with me and we go out and have a meal, he said, the, the one thing I look for is how do they treat the waiter? Because if you don't treat the waiter well, I don't want to work with you. I thought, Isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting um, uh, deal breaker? Because how we do one thing is how we pretty much do everything. And if we believe that God is alive and present within everyone to varying degrees, and some are not even aware of it, but it's there. And it's transformative when, when, even when we walk into an environment and someone's not aware of it, to bring that perspective. And sometimes I, th I think we discount that. You know, you are the face of God. I see God everywhere I look. And so when we see beauty, it's God. Deepak says, God is everywhere in general, but nowhere in particular. And I believe what we do through spiritual practice and awareness is we, we, we particularize it a little bit more. So respect people with less power than you. You know, the disadvantaged people. When I went to that mental health foundation uh, breakfast last week with Laura, 
you know, we're there in, in support of people that are, have been marginalized in some ways and have been discounted in some ways, but to help, I mean, here are people with less gifts and talents in many ways that we think are valuable, and yet they bring their gifts and talents. And to slow down with that and to be able to nurture that and to bring that forward is spiritual practice. It's a beautiful thing. Number nine, don't rush. Don't need to know what to do with the rest of your life. I think that's true whether you're 20 years old or you're 80 years old. Because when we're rushing and, and we become so myopic with the dream or what the goal is, many times we miss all the beauty along the way. He said that when you're 20 years old and you know what you want, you're going to be having a midlife crisis when you're 45. And I know people that have done that. I did that when I went to Los Angeles to be an actor. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this isn't it. Hmm, now what do I do? Oh, I can always be a minister. Shucks, they always need ministers. <laughs> life can be long and tough, as he says. Fill your life, and I like this part, because it can be. You know, there are times when we just get, you know, there's things that happen, and it can be discouraging, it can be disappointing. But he says this, fill your life with as much as you can. Fill your life with as much as you can. Learn as much as you can about as much as you can. I love that. Because I, I love this teaching. I love the, the role that I get to play because I get to continue to learn. And it's just like, wow, there's so much more to learn. There was the insights that we had the last two days with, with uh, Eileen facilitating us. Um, and I'm going to bring you up here and embarrass you at the end in front of everybody. Um, but um, just remarkable and, and beautiful. But if I had not selected this path, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. You know, we were talking, Eileen and I were talking yesterday about being part of the leadership council. She's on the leadership council with, with me. And, and we talked about the, the, some of the challenges with that, but some of the great joys. And meeting one another and developing relationship. It's a beautiful thing. But, but when, we know, when we're so myopic, well, that doesn't involve what I'm doing here. I'm not going to be of service to that because I'm, I'm doing my thing in Edmonton, all that stuff. But if I hadn't been open and available to that opportunity and that idea and what was calling me to that, I wouldn't have this experience. I wouldn't have this great relationship, which benefits the entire community. And it's, just such a, it's an amazing thing to watch. So that's when, when you uh, adopt the attitude that wherever... Ernest Holmes said, take your good where you find it, leave the rest alone. Take the good where you find it, leave the rest alone. You don't, have to, you, don't, you don't have to burn a place down. Just, you know, it's not working for you. Thanks very much. I probably won't be back. He continues, take pride in whatever you're doing. Take pride. Take ownership. You know, pride to me, mean, to me is, is not an egoic thing. It's about, this is my opportunity to create beauty. This is my opportunity to add value to other people's lives. That sense of pride, that sense of deep care. You know, Carolyn um, Reynolds used to say, one of my favorite phrases is she would always say, for her love was, my heart is open in your presence. And for me, that's just such a wonderful expression of love. Because what it means is that there's a, there's a vulnerability that gets expressed between us. That excruciating vulnerability that can be so frightening at times of an, an empathy to understand that your life and my life are interconnected in so many ways. As Holmes said, there's no private good. So your good is my good, and, and, and back and forth. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, philosophy. And as we work it, and, we, and it works us, 
Life continues to change, so take pride in whatever we're doing. Compassion, sharing our ideas, sharing our talents and gifts, moving on this planet enthusiastically, optimistically, despite what's happening. Be an, a contagion and an ambassador of a greater good. And see, as we own it, as we own it and continue to do our own work, it, it lives in us deeper and deeper and deeper. It's one of the things that has been so apparent for me over the last year in doing my own work with, um, around the co-creation work, the, the releasing work, and then going to Abhijanya. And Eileen was actually my inspiration and my invitation to go. She went with me. Um, there's just been a deepening and a continued deepening of, of spirit presence living in me. And it's sometimes very difficult to describe, but it's just so tangible. I wanted to share with you uh, Ernest Holmes' uh, perspective, and this is from Living the Science of Mind, a beautiful book. It's page 136 if you have a copy and you're interested in reading it again. But Ernest talks about God's will. Because there's a lot of questions. People come to me all the time and say, I want to understand my life's purpose. And what's God's will for me? And, and Holmes so brilliantly articulates this in this, uh, these couple of paragraphs I want to share with you. And all of these ideas, these nine life lessons I've shared with you, I think line up beautifully with what, what Dr. Holmes is talking about. In fact, Tim Minchin uh, claims to be an atheist, which I think is very interesting because he's talking about all the qualities that we celebrate so much of. But what I believe, when people tell me they're an atheist, I think what they're saying is, I don't believe in that God, that punishing God. I don't believe in that idea. I, I, that's been my experience, and I could be wrong. I'm, you know, I'm putting my per- perception on it. But Holmes says, what is God's will? This question is as old as time, and the answer has been as varied as it has been the mentalities of those who gave it. So once again, it's subjective. Who's ever answering the question is going to filter it through their own awareness in a different way. To the, sci- to the scientific mind, the will of God is manifest in the immutable laws of the universe. So that's why scientists love that, because it's measurable and we can see it. To the overzealous religionist, the will of God appears to come through some special revelation giving birth to a certain spiritual system of thought, which forever after is to be taken dogmatically and accepted without question. Does anyone know a tradition like that? Someone has a mystical experience and then they decide that's the only experience and we're all going to follow along based on my experience of the infinite? Isn't it nice not to have to... For me, all I can say is I'm so glad I don't have to support that idea. It's one of the things I love about our teaching. He says, if we, uh, he says, we use the word God, and I love this. I think this is so important because I know the God word for many people is charged. But what he means, when we use the word God, we mean the great reality. The great reality, the infinite unity, the final truth back of all manifest life. The absolute or causeless cause, the one unconditioned, complete and perfect, indivisible, changeless, and whole. All of these descriptive terms are synonymous with the word God. I think that's brilliant. So don't let this God thing put you back into the anthropomorphic idea of God, that God is a man somewhere in a cloud. If the nature of God or reality were unhappiness, then the will of God would be toward unhappiness. But to suppose that the nature of God could be toward any form of limitation is to suppose not only an inconsistency, but an improbability. Holmes said that we are bound because we are free. And the way that we bind ourselves is that we we make up stories and we we grab onto ideas about ourselves which are not true, but we we think they're true. And because we're free to select those, we we, we bind ourselves in limitation. 
So the very thing that can free us is also the thing that can keep us into a, into a box of, of limitation or lack. So the same tools we use to create that are the same tools that we can use to change that because we have choice. The nature of God then is not one of limitation or bondage, but one of freedom. And therefore, the scriptures tell us that we have, inherent, we have inherited not bondage, but liberty. And the last piece here I think is beautiful. Our divine inheritance is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. And, and, and I mean that in the most gracious way, gracious way possible. To understand that not as a burden, not as more responsibility. Oh my gosh, I've got to undo this whole mess. It doesn't work that way. But all of us have everything we need to move forward. The great Irish poet James Cavanaugh gets up every morning and says, me, uh, me I throw away sufficient to the day. Which is, he says, I've got everything I need today to do my poetry and to walk this beautiful landscape and to be inspired. Our divine inheritance is self-sufficiency, perfection, peace, wholeness, and this must include, if this is true, abundance, self-expression, accomplishment, and happiness. The nature of God is wholesome. The nature of wholesome is happiness. The nature of happiness is peace. The nature of peace is harmony, and the nature of harmony is joy. All qualities of the infinite. So whichever way we turn the proposition, we are compelled to understand the nature of reality. The nature of God is perfect, and therefore the will of God, which can never be divorced from God's nature, must, must always be a will towards wholeness, peace, poise, power, and self-expression. Wholeness, peace, poise, power, and self-expression. So let's ground that in this moment. One of the beautiful things we did in the last couple of days with Eileen is we, when we were, she was talking about grounding, grounding our energy in the moment. And she gave us this simple little practice which has had just been so profound in my life in the last 24 hours. So I'm going to invite you to put your feet on the floor and close your eyes. I'm going to do the same. Keep my feet on the floor. And move your energy to your feet. Just move your energy to your feet. And as we move ourselves, our energy to our feet, we're connected. We're connected to that grounding of spirit. We're in the balance. We reclaim our equilibrium. And so as Eileen said to us in her facilitation, when you're in a board meeting and things sort of seem to spin out of control or they're going in a direction that seems a bit chaotic or distracting, take a moment and sit quietly and move your energy to your feet. And it's a, a position, as Holmes would say, of poise. Of wholeness. Of peace. Of power. Of self-expression. We are grounding ourselves. And your body loves it. And spirit is more available. To inform because we're out of the head we're out of the heart we're grounded in the truth of our being which is the infinite self it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing
And so I'm going to invite you to come back into the room. But what a simple little practice when you start to spin out in the fear and the anxiety and that, that untrue story, that word of resistance and that word of error that you may have adopted in your life. That universal, I'm not good enough. Because when we're grounded in that, when we feel connected, we're better able to be in the vulnerability with one another. We're better able to stand in love with one another and support of one another and speak from and live from the truth of our being, which is power and poise and peace and joy and wholeness. And then we have the opportunity to not only be aware of our dreams, but also the beautiful things in the periphery of the dream. And we have the, the understanding that, it's, that when we seek the happiness of others, that we're in service to something bigger than ourselves. And the, res, the reciprocity of that creates more happiness in our lives. That we get to stand in the gratitude of what an enormous gift this life is. That we take care of our physical bodies because we need them. And it's such a beautiful thing to celebrate our physicality. To take form. To dance and move and upon this beautiful planet. To question our opinions so that wherever we limit ourselves, we're able to reassess that and choose new in the moment. To decide that we're going to learn something so well that we have the opportunity to perhaps teach it. To respect the people that have less power than us, which is truly an act of compassion and empathy. And really being of service in the world. And to slow ourselves down. Because we don't need to know all the answers right now. We don't need to have all the answers and questions answered. That's the beauty. And when we're grounded in the truth of our being, when we sit down, when we're spinning, and we say, I'm going to move all my energy to my feet and ground myself in my, my, the truth of my being, then we understand it's okay not to have all the answers. Life's not supposed to be like that. And what we need to know will reveal itself. What I don't know, as Holmes said, something within me does know. And to live in that faith and live in that trust and that joy. And so it is. Blessings.